Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. This is your host, Jay Dub. I'm back to talk final week of college football. I'll talk a little bit more in the coming weeks, but I'm going to transition the show to be more NBA focused as we get into December and we'll talk bowl game, but the season's winding down. So I'll talk a little bit about that and I'll touch on the NBA action as well in the second half of the pod. Let's get to it. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Okay, I'm back. So what did we learn this week in the college football landscape? Not as much as I would have liked. First off, look, this is just a pet peeve, but there should be a rule against late season snooze fest from Power 5 schools with champion aspirations. If you're Northwestern or Kentucky or Duke, not to call those schools out, but they're not historically fighting for titles, nor do they have those, those clear aspirations. Sure, schedule an FBS school in November. But this week, firmly in November, it's the weekend prior to Thanksgiving, we had Florida State play North Alabama. And by the way, that was a game through a quarter. I think North Alabama was even up at one point, although Florida State won 50-something to 14 or 13. We had Alabama play Chattanooga. We had Ole Miss play University of Louisiana Monroe and LSU play Georgia State. These are September pre-conference games. Come on. These are practice games. These aren't real games. They shouldn't count. And they certainly shouldn't be played in November. There should be a rule against this. It's just not good for fans, not good for TV. Fortunately, Florida State paid a price by dropping the AP poll with Washington jumping them. So I expect the same when the playoff rankings are released on Tuesday. I'm recording this Monday afternoon, so we got a full day. This will drop before the rankings come out. But come on, guys, let's play some real games. Okay, who looked good? Look, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Washington continue to look good. Oregon continues to blow out Pac-12 teams that look great. I'm leaving Alabama off this because, again, they played Chattanooga. They should have won 100 to 10, which brings us to the most exciting slate of games of the year this weekend. Actually, when you go through them, there's not as many as you would hope, partly because some of the traditional rivalry games, you've got one team that's good, one team that's not. But the weekend kicks off on Friday with number 11, Oregon State. I know no one gives them credibility. No one's vast majority of people who listen to this podcast have probably never seen Oregon State a single snap of their game. Maybe they watched this past weekend game against Washington, but they're really good. And they're taking on their in-state rival separated by 37 miles in University of Oregon, who's number six and one of the fastest, I mean, like most impressive looking teams the last, really the whole season. They've lost one game by one point on the road at Washington, but they played a great schedule and have been playing really well. OSU scrappy. And look, this they call this a civil war and it, it literally anyone can win this game. If Oregon can get through this matchup, I think they'll continue their march towards a possible playoff spot and they'll beat Washington in the Pac-12 game. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Next biggest game, and by far the one everyone's going to talk about, is Michigan versus Ohio State Saturday morning at the big house. The winner is locked in the playoff spot, hands down. That's a great game. It's two versus three. Lots of history there. That's an exciting game. Another sneaky important game is Alabama playing at Auburn. Alabama should roll, but it's a rivalry game, so anything's possible. Beyond that, there's very few. There's a few other ranked teams, both teams ranked, but no one top. 10 versus someone top 20. It's mid-teens versus 20, and there's not even that many, that many of those games, which leads me to the following week. 
that's when it gets real interesting in the conference championship games. And here are my predictions of what happens the next two weeks. I'm making, taking some liberties of what's going to happen this weekend, but here we go. Big 12 title game. I don't know who Texas is going to play, but I predict Texas wins, but is left to wait on the rest of the games. Big 10 title game. I'm calling Ohio state soundly beats Iowa. And, or sorry, I'm predicting Ohio State beats Michigan this weekend soundly to break a mini losing streak against Michigan. And I'm predicting Ohio State then rolls Iowa in the Big Ten title game. They'll be the number one overall seed in the playoff. And I'm predicting Michigan is left outside looking in. Conspiracy theorists will say it's an unspoken penalty for having a head coach nobody likes. I'll call it the Draymond uh, effect. Uh, that's that call. Pac 12. I predict Oregon wins this weekend. Washington beats Washington State in the Apple Cup, and Oregon beats Washington in the rematch, creating chaos and anxiety for the ghost of the Pac-12 conference because they're assumed, oh, we've got one loss, winner, we're out. But Oregon's had a great game, a great season, so we'll come back to that. ACC, I'm predicting Florida State wins a tough game, leaving Louisville with two losses and out. And then SEC, Georgia soundly beats Alabama. I just think Alabama's a little bit one, one-dimensional. Georgia's rolling. I think they've got a little bit more talent scheme-wise. They've been playing great against Alabama in recent years. But anything's possible here. I'm predicting Georgia soundly beats Alabama, though, and their two losses and they're out. So the playoff teams, I'm predicting are Ohio State, Oregon, Florida State, and Georgia. Texas is going to cry foul, but Oregon played a much tougher schedule. They did. Just look it up. And blew out most of its opponents. So their like, net rating is high, particularly given the quality of opponents. They did play one Patsy early in the year, Portland State, and beat them like 70 to something, like insane. But they only lost one game, tight game, against a really good opponent. You look at overall their schedule, and it's been a really good season for them. Alabama complained that the SEC is so good, but even with two losses, we should be in. And the rest of the, actually, there's really not anyone else who can truly complain. I guess you could make an argument. Michigan, or one, would have a huge argument in this situation. And maybe they have a valid reason, but I look at their schedule. They haven't been blowing teams out. Big 10 is top-heavy. There's some good teams, but in the mid kind of and below sections, it's not that strong. Anyhow, did anybody see this story, by the way, about Utah's quarterback, Cam Rising, saying he's committed to returning for a seventh season? He's been out this year. It would be his third redshirt year. So but WTF, what's going on there? I, is this even allowed? Let's just say this guy got on a mission. He'd be pushing 30 as a player in the in amateur collegiate. Let's not call it what it is. It's no longer amateur. But I think that's a little bit strong, a little bit rough. But it is what it is. Okay. I'm going to transition over here to basketball, to the NBA season. We're three weeks into the NBA season, almost four weeks now, actually, really. Teams have played almost approximately 15% of the regular season schedule. So we can start making some determinations. What's been interesting, what stood out to me, this is going to be short and sweet. In the youth movement in both Minnesota and OKC may be finally maturing. It's exciting to see Ant and SGA develop into bonafide stars. You could see their talent. SGA obviously last year scored average 30, so that was clear. And Anthony Edwards has had his moments. But what's really nice to see, they've ascended a little bit more, and their teams in the surrounding cast are gelling. So let's start with Minnesota. They're maybe more shocking, or I would say most shocking, because after the Cat and Rudy Gobert pairing last year, it looked like this wasn't going to work out. It didn't look like the pieces could fit. And then Minnesota's just had a long history of incompetence. But they have the best record in the West. Granted, it's 9-3. and three. 
So don't get too excited. And they're looking very good, though. I've seen two full games of theirs already and snippets of others. They've got a good rotation. They're deep. They've got veterans and young guys. And the Gobert-Cat thing seems to be working. Cat's really a four, and he's playing a four-level position, shooting, spacing, defense. And you got Gobert as the one non-shooter who can do a lot of different things there. Maybe they're just it's going to be a great regular season run, just like those Utah teams with Gobert, and they fall apart in the playoffs when you really isolate and get uh, Gobert on an island with somebody who's quicker, faster, and beat him off the dribble or, or outshoot him. But so far, looking good. And for their sake, given they've given up all, a ton of draft capital to get Gobert, regular season success will be key. OKC, on the other hand, would be, in my opinion, and based on, I think, how they've discussed it, ahead of schedule. So they have, by the way, keep a note, they have 12 first-rounders over the next four drafts alone. That includes a bunch of multi-team swaps and a plethora of options, swap options. So they're deep in terms of assets. They could definitely do something at the trade deadline. But you throw in, as I mentioned, SGA, Chet Holmgren, who's effectively a rookie, but it's, he sat out all last year. Jalen Williams, who was an outstanding find last year as a rookie, the guy out of Santa Clara, not the other one. Josh Giddy, who I thought was a bad selection, but is just very multidimensional, adds a lot of versatility for them as their point guard, if you will. And then Lou Dort is just a kind of spark plug off the bench, plays great D, can score. And then a, a bunch of other players, they're deep. I really like what I see from them, and I'm excited for where this team is going to be in three, four months. They're young. I don't think this is their year, but they've got the second-best record in, in the West. They'd be a top-six team overall in the NBA right now through kind of a look at net rating and record. So got to give them a lot of credit. Okay, last thing on the cover, who are they breakout newcomers to the party from a fantasy perspective? So again, this podcast has a heavy fantasy slant to it. We're talking about NBA fantasy here. So for those of you who are like, what is that? It's no different than football. You play weekly. You set your lineup based on how the players play. You score points for everything. It varies based on scoring system, whatnot. But I wanted to highlight five guys who surprised where they're at and what they're contributing so far in the season. Again, it's early. Injuries, maturation, all this stuff could change. But so far, here are the five guys. These are all young players, third, fourth year, or less. Actually, two of three of them are technically classified as rookies. One's a second-year guy, and one's a third-year guy. But I think that it's becoming that all five of these guys are in the top 40 in terms of fantasy basketball productivity, which is a sign of their real-life productivity. By the way, there's points retracted for turnovers. You get more points for things like assists and or with steals, blocks. And so on. So it's there's a it's a nice value equation, if you will. It's not just looking at points per game or whatever. So let me start off. First is the guy that everyone was very hyped about last year this time after a standing rookie season. But he had a down year and now in his third year has picked it back up, which is Toronto Raptors forward Scotty Barnes. He's number the, the currently number 12th fantasy score, at least in, in my league's format. He's averaging 38.65 points per game. Again, those are fantasy points, not points on the court. He's just looked really good. He's delivering on his promise as a rookie. See if he can keep it up and maybe even continue to ascend. It's good to see. Next is a guy I was very hot on last year, and I thought he would really step up from the same class as, as Barnes, and that's Evan Mobley. He's currently the 20th scorer. He's at 33.25 points per game. So you can see between 12 and 8, it's a significant gap. 
but he's been more consistent, rebounding, blocking, assists. His points are still low. I think he's averaging 16 a game, which is fine for a big man. But it's nice to see him be more consistent in that Cleveland team. Pretty tough out. Next three guys are rookie. The first of the rookies is number 23, forward center Chet Holmgren. Again, I get it that he's not quite a rookie because he technically was on the team last year, but he was just out for injury the whole season. But in the classification of the NBA, he's a rookie. And he's a rookie of the year contender, I would say. It's him and Wembeiano. Obviously, Wembeiano is probably going to win it just with name recognition alone and the wow moments he's providing. But just want to call that out. And then on that note, good transition, is number 26 is forward center Victor Wembeiano. He's averaging 32 points per game. He's a, a rookie of the year front runner. By the way, Chet's at 30, just shy of, just north of 30. So he's played more games than Victor, but he's scored more total points. And then last is rookie, one of the Thompson twins, the Detroit one, number 34 overall scoring forward, Azir Thompson at 27.7 points per game. Really impressive rookie year in a sea of kind of young players there in Detroit. Detroit looks like they've been amassing quite a bit of talent because Kate Cunningham's looked good, or at least looking good coming off that last season injury. Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, they're deep. They got, I wouldn't say they're super deep, actually. Let me rephrase that. They've got a lot of guys who have talent and upside. I think Azir Thompson, Jake, Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, and Duran all look good, look like keepers. You got Jaden Ivey. It'll be interesting to see how he gets folded in. It's early, but it's exciting. Lots of good going on. So on that note, I hope you have a great week. I got my uh, the NFL pod coming up, launching on Wednesday. It'll either drop on Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And then we've got a great Thanksgiving week ahead. So hope everybody has a great week. Safe. Enjoy time with family. Take care. Bye-bye. Before we leave, let me tell you a little something. Uptown, funk you up. 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 <laughs>